Welcome to Conceptually Speaking, the show where we interview experts in a variety of fields to uncover the systems and patterns that help us to conceptualize and reconceptualize our world. I'm Julie Stern, founder of Education to Save the World and co-author of Learning That Transfers, Designing Curriculum for a Changing World. And I'm Trevor Elio, English language arts specialist at Ed to Save the World and co-author of Learning That Transfers. This podcast uses our mental model as a sense-making tool through acquiring, connecting, and transferring conceptual relationships to unlock new situations. Our guests identify three to five concepts at the heart of their field, and we discuss how those concepts play out in a variety of settings. We hope this podcast will inspire teachers and students to design creative solutions to complex problems and accelerate innovation in today's schools. You can find out more about our work at edtosavetheworld.com. Welcome to a special celebration and reflection episode of Conceptually Speaking. Today, Julie and I are going to be looking back on the first year of our podcast and thinking about maybe where we're going to go next. So, Julie, uh, it's been a year since the podcast started, and uh, that year has felt like 10 years. (laughs) So uh, along the way, we've had some really fascinating conversations with some really intelligent people. So what are some of the wisdom nuggets that you have been taking away? And um, what are your thoughts so far? Yeah, great question to start us off with. What are the wisdom nuggets we are taking away so far? It's been an incredible year. And so I just want to first thank you, Trevor, for this idea, for nagging me about it in the uh, just when the pandemic started uh, last year. And I, you know, I didn't even like podcasts. I think I've said this to you before, even on episode <laughs> yeah, on air. Um, before, I just thought there was too much chit chat. <laughs> I'm not a chit chat kind of person. Um, I like to really get to the heart of things. And you know what? The ACT model, it works. It's more powerful than I had even perceived of it when we we designed it last year. Using this podcast has given me so many aha moments about how powerful it is to ask experts in the field to choose three to five words. And we've never had anybody say, I'm not doing that, or I can't do that, or that's weird. Um, everybody has been like, here's my three words. Uh, it's been really cool. And uh, so I just want to start by saying thank you for nagging me to do this. And actually, I've come around to podcasts in general. I now <laughs> do podcasts while I'm walking, while I'm running, yeah. um, while I'm cleaning the house. And and there's a lot more than chit chat out there. So um, I do I do now like the space of podcasts, <laughs> which has been great. So I think for me, really, how do we help everybody? sort of sift through the amount of information that's coming at us. And I do remember years ago when you and I met and the only books I had in existence were Tools for Teaching Conceptual Understanding. And you said to me, Julie, you know, I feel like what you're saying about conceptual understanding is like a lunch tray. And it's the foundation that teachers need to put all the the pedagogical practices, goals, aims on sort of this lunch tray that you have to, you have to have help kids sort of build this conceptual understanding, this conceptual organization. And then you can bring in all kinds of other things that you want students to know, or even pedagogical tools like design thinking, game storming, you got me into uh, so many different things that you could sort of put on your, your lunch tray, but like every teacher has to have conceptual understanding. Even if, even yeah. if you're super passionate about project-based, if you're super passionate about um, so many different things out there, you need conceptual understanding to like put all of that on. And it's still such a great analogy. And what I feel like somewhat of a shift for me is teaching students 
how to acquire, connect, and transfer their learning. So that is something that's the last month is where I, I really had that aha moment of like, okay, whoa, whoa, not only do I need to get you to the core of design thinking? I feel like everybody would say at the core of design thinking is one of them is empathy, that empathy is like at the core. And so everybody we, t- we talk to who's really passionate about design thinking, we know that's going to be some at least a word that they're going to talk about. Um, but really, how do we teach our kids, our students to look for those core concepts? and how those concepts connect and how those concepts play out in multiple situations. And so my children, which I talk all the time about, uh, are five and seven. And I am realizing how powerful it is, even at a young age, to teach kids how to acquire, connect, and transfer, how to ask what's at the core of, of Minecraft. My kids are super into Minecraft <laughs> now. <laughs> so like, what's at the core? And I'm not going to go through the ACT model with them, but they, I'm not going to be like, what? Let's acquire understanding of your inventory. Um, but they they quickly realize that like inventory is, it's, a, it's at the core of Minecraft. Um, and understanding like what they, they're really into zombie Minecraft. This is really embarrassing. So to all of our listeners. Hey, Minecraft advocate, is, is the hotness right now. All the this is the result Minecraft. of COVID. And I just need like childcare. So the iPad has helped me a lot with that. <laughs> um, but, you know, like knowing which of the mobs do what to you. This is what my kids are teaching me about Minecraft. My five and seven-year-old are teaching me about Minecraft. And they're like, okay, this, this mob is named this, and this is what they do. And it's all these words. But I am, from my own children, acquiring, connecting, and transferring concepts about Minecraft. So they're teaching me. They're the experts. And so, you know, that's just... I'll talk about some of my favorite moments in a second, but that's just my big aha of the last year that the podcast has really helped me to crystallize. And what about you? Think, yeah. So before I, I list off some of the things that, that I was thinking about, just kind of riffing on the ideas that, that you're bringing in, I think one of the problems when you speak to anybody who is a specialist in their field, those underlying concepts, the core of what it is that they're interested in and their, their knowledge has become invisible to them because mm-hmm. it is so mm-hmm. baked into the DNA of everything that they do. And it's really easy when talking to those people about whatever it is that they are, are interested in or into they ignore those core things and they start talking about things that have this huge base of knowledge and they're kind of like dancing around at the top when maybe like new ideas that are entering their field or new insight that they've had as someone who has expertise and uh it's it reminds me of uh, adam hansen talking about like the, the curse of knowledge mm-hmm. like our cognitive biases that like we forget what's at the core of what it is we're talking about unless we're explicitly asked to so i just think that act of of asking people with expertise whether that's in minecraft or design thinking or or you know history or, or science who down to the, to the core of the heart of the matter they can definitely do it but unless they're explicitly asked, I wonder how often, even as a teacher, like when I'm teaching writing, how often do I ignore those core concepts? And I have an understanding of what an effective claim looks like that maybe my students don't mm-hmm. have. So I, th- I think that that's, that's really powerful and interesting. And also the idea that kids are acquiring, connecting, and transferring their understanding all the time, just mm-hmm. not in like things that would be in like the discourse of school. Mm-hmm. But by being like, hey, you're already organizing recognizing deeper patterns and structures within your own life and your own interests, take that same process right. and bring it into the classroom. And there, there's also, there's a lot of interesting research 
James Paul G talks about how good video games are at teaching kids stuff. Um, mm. And I wonder how much of it comes down to their ability to establish those sort of core things. So mm. I, I really like that. Um, and I guess some of my biggest takeaways um, is just how, even though all of these people are exploring different topics, different fields, and really kind of like bringing their own unique perspective um, into the episode, I'm always fascinated at how we come away with a new understanding of something. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I might not have that much insight or perspective into whatever it is that the person is talking about, but because they have that expertise, they get me thinking about it in a different way. Mm-hmm. So like I might enter with a superficial understanding of, of love, for instance, in Chloe Valdry's episode, mm-hmm. but I come away with a much deeper appreciation and insight into it. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's fascinating to me that even though all of these, all of our guests have different interests and, and specializations, um, I, some of them I think I know something about, but I just don't have as much familiarity with them and they bring newer and deeper insights. So I feel like I'm constantly learning. I'm constantly uh, shifting my perspective and growing my understanding. And uh, that's why I love this, this idea of, of reconceptualizing that you sort of brought into. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think the power of the of the ACT model of asking experts, like, tell us what you just said is so true about expert blind spot, about we don't even really think about what's at the core. And it reminds me of our, our other co-author, Christopher Rara, who said, basically, you know, what do you want kids to attend to? What do you want kids mm-hmm. to pay attention to? And they can't, they cannot pay attention to many things at once. Um, and that that was on one of our book calls was such a, this, yeah. it's like, duh, but it was, it was profound for me to say, kids cannot pay attention to everything. And you have to really ask yourself some tough questions of what do you want your students to pay attention to, not only right now in this lesson, but when they encounter new situations. And it reminds me of one of the biggest ahas um, was having Darren Cambridge on talking about nonviolent action. I consider myself, I met Darren at the Close Up Foundation. He and I have known each other for a long time. Um, we used to do these programs together that talked about the civil rights movement. I, I considered myself, I'm, I've read Mark Kolonsky's book called Nonviolence. I consider myself decently informed about the, the, the field of nonviolent action. I would have never picked love as a concept. So Darren picked, I want to say like planning, discipline, and love. And planning mm-hmm. and discipline, uh, yeah, those were like, okay, for sure, I'm with you. Love and Martin Luther King and the beloved community and why the word love, linking back to, I was like, oh my gosh, Chloe Valdry picked the word love as one of her three concepts. And so that was also like a revisiting the concept of love in a new, because Chloe was talking about social emotional learning and Darren was talking about nonviolent action, somewhat different fields. Uh, And they both picked the word love as a core concept. And so absolutely spot on what you're saying of like, what is the core of this discipline? And then having me rethink my conception of the word love and how it plays out in different situations. Chloe's point was you have to love yourself. And that reminds me of our number one podcast download is Jody Carrington, who says hurt people hurt people. I don't think that's her quote. I think that's from somebody else, but it's so true that like, if you, if you feel hurt in your life and Chloe's thing is using pop culture to teach social emotional learning. So like, let's look at Disney movies. Let's look at all these characters in, in film. And you see it time and time again, where people who are feel 
hurt for whatever reason are the bullies in in these shows um and so just sort of helping us to harness our prior knowledge to to use what we do know to gain insight into these people's minds and their understanding has been really cool and the word hacking is really you know it's it's a, probably a five-year popular term um that i don't love i think you and i like to sit and ponder and learn <laughs> yeah. more we're, yeah. almost we're coders not hackers <laughs> <laughs> we're almost and we're almost i'm almost like um uh, allergic to the word shortcut as well but i do think so i'm prefacing all that to say i'm going to use it i do think the act model is somewhat of a hack or somewhat of a shortcut into expertise and i'll use i'll say it's like it's, it gives you insight when you ask people tell me the three most fundamental and we've had a few guests who are like i have to have five but still five is so much <laughs> less than prepared, a yeah. million or a hundred or whatever the content standards that, that we have to teach but uh, you know the max people have said is okay i need five or they'll say like i need a slash um but still just getting to getting people who know a lot about something to tell us three to five words they're at the core is magical it's there's nothing short of magical it's and this podcast has really shown that and i think that saying that it's a it's a tool for insight i i really do like that because what i've also kind of noticed throughout all these episodes is we have some like underlying metaphors and mental models in all aspects of our lives but especially in education that shape and color so much of how we view everything Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. this idea of like learning loss, right? Mm -hmm. It comes from the idea that each year students enter our classrooms, put things into their brain, they move mm -hmm. on to the next year. And if they mm -hmm. didn't get as much in their brain as they did in school, mm -hmm. then they have lost learning. Mm -hmm. um, and I that the underlying metaphors there in terms of like what learning is and how it operates and where learning happens, there is so much that gets unexamined. Mm -hmm. And I think in our current informational Sort of ecology where like we are drowning in information uh but we are kind of like starved for meaning um i, mm -hmm. I can't remember who coined that quote but i saw that recently mm -hmm. and that really that really spoke to me um mm -hmm. and what we need to do is as you were saying and kristen noted uh, it's what can we get kids to tend to it's not that information isn't important anymore that's right it's that it, there's so much of it right. we need to help kids kind of tend to what's most important and then putting off of that when kids enter into a new situation, you know, there's a lot of conversation about like asset based instruction. Mm -hmm. um, but if kids think that, you know, what they learn is important, but it's not really related to what they do in school, how can they use those assets? Mm -hmm. Before, and this is why I have been loving our, our use of human experience concepts. Mm -hmm. Everyone is a human who has experienced mm -hmm. things in their life. Mm -hmm. So we can start from there and think about what using concepts as our sort of portal or threshold to step through. Like you might be entering, like you, chances are, you know, you didn't really know anything about the Han Dynasty until you got into your, you know, world history yeah. class. Yeah. Um, but if you can ask students to think about their experiences, how can you set up or scaffold or have them bring to bear things that they understand about the way that, you know, groups of people work and interact mm -hmm. um, and how cultures form to really make sense of it. And I think that that's what, um, why, even though we bring in someone like Brad Kirshner, who is like, basically on another planet of understanding yeah, and insight yeah, yeah. and make a and have a conversation that I think is pretty accessible to a lot of people because we're cutting to the quick we're asking people to consider what they already know about the world 
to explore things that they don't know about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, uh, through my three big takeaways, just for our listeners, because you and I talked about this, we could, we could talk forever. My three biggest takeaways from the podcast, so we talked about number one, which is getting people to what we call the act, the act model works in short, the act model works really well. Uh, but simply getting people to articulate, getting experts in any field to articulate three to five core ideas and having a conversation about what those ideas are, how they interact and how they play out in different situations is so powerful. My number two is everything is connected. I mean, I, I on the strengths finder connectedness is my strength. And so, uh, you know, I've always been like that, but I want to share a little bit of insights that I gained from this podcast about how everything is connected. And my third thing is, is basically systems upon systems. And I'm going to go there for now, because you mentioned Brad Kirshner, which that podcast was mind boggling out of this world. So he's the author of Understanding Educational Complexity, um, which I'm currently reading along with other things. Uh, I'm reading that along with like Simplify Work and a bunch of other books that sort of help us to simplify things. So it's like understand the complexity and then how do mm -hmm. we help those, you know, and Brad said this in his episode, like we need enough people to hold the complexity in their heads so that as a, I mean, frankly, so as a human species, we, we continue to, to survive because we face this whole host of yeah. challenges right now. And so with Brad, really, he used the word meta so much. Um, and he, he used the word meta move. That's the, he said this, I mean, this was like one of those things where Trevor, I had to like re I listened to the episode after we recorded it <laughs> and then like rewind it to listen again, to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. I know what he said is just really good. I just need to make sure I understand what he's saying. He said, um, turning our subjectivity into objects is the meta move we need to be making. What? I mean, that was like rewind, play it again, listen, like where, how did he say this in the context of how he said it? Um, and I love that, absolutely. In all of our relationships, not just in uh, what's happening in the United States pre predominantly right now, of course in Canada, there's lots of conversations around uh, racial injustice, uh, inequities, things like that, but also just in our relationships, like me and my husband have very different <laughs> subjectivity about our parenting, right? And we need to turn our subjectivity into objects to examine it. And he said, that's the meta move people need to make. And you use the word meta sometimes too, but it's just like, okay, oh, I get it. Like there's systems. And so somewhat the conceptual understanding that we're talking about with students is, okay, what's the system of, you know, grade five, mathematics what's the system of like wherever kids are what's the sort of systemic level understanding of patterns and structure about science that we need them to understand but then there's systems on top of that system and especially science is really good about this so i feel like sometimes science teachers are like I, we did we got this in the myp chat i don't know if you noticed this but mm -hmm. one of the science teachers were like well there's no concepts in science or i don't know something or everything's a concept in science or something like that and i was like Ah, huh, that's not quite how we use that word. We simply use it as organizing ideas. And there's levels of concepts and layers of concepts, yeah. but there's also levels and layers of systems and how systems interact. And so that was like, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. For instance, in our book and in our discipline-specific online courses, we've got, let's start with, let's start with the discipline. What's the purpose of science? 
And sometimes teachers are like, whoa, the most meta they've gone is the unit plan. So you've got your daily lesson plans and then you've got your unit plan. Sometimes I'll go to like a scope and sequence or the school district will give me like a scope and sequence that like looks at my whole course, but I don't really look at that document very much. I just think about what am I doing tomorrow yeah. with my students? And we are going meta upon meta. We are going like, oh, oh, oh. we're going to write a story of our course. That's one level more abstract than the unit plan. What's the story of your course? What's the course overview? That's like the syllabus, but we're thinking about it in a much more sort of systematic way than a syllabus. And we actually start with, what's the purpose of your discipline? What, why, do we, why do we do this every year for kids, yep. K through 12 and beyond? What's the purpose? Um, and so that's just to me, like the system upon system has been such an epiphany from this and, context. And if we're talking about what students need to be tending to within those systems, mm. asking teachers to go that one meta move out and think about their discipline, I know that for me personally has really changed and shaped the way that I teach day to day. And I can mm. definitely understand why someone who is very focused on the moment to moment instruction, why they're like, why do I need to get into this philosophical <laughs> inquiry? But like, what's my discipline about? But once you do that, I think that you'll find the things that you tend to and pay attention to within your own classroom will change and shift. Mm. And I know that that has definitely been one of the biggest I've noticed with my instruction is the more I've asked myself and explored what is this discipline about what is my like the role purpose and function of mm -hmm. me as an English teacher bringing this knowledge and, and modeling and exploring it with kids um, the more that I feel like there is purpose and meaning in the day-to-day -day instruction that I do mm -hmm. and the strategies mm -hmm. that I use because mm -hmm. I'm not thinking at the level of the next test or assessment I'm still getting my students there my North Star has moved a little bit further out into mm -hmm. the Milky Way. And mm -hmm. I'm thinking like, they need to do well on this assessment, sure, but they need to understand this concept to handle or tackle this, you know, aspect of their life mm -hmm. or their career or, you know, the, the state of our sort of like social and political unrest. And I think that mm -hmm. that is really powerful um, of helping teachers see that they are embedded within those systems. And maybe we can't, you know, one, like we said, you know, one teacher, not change the fact that we live in like an era of like progressive neoliberalism or whatever but you can ask yourself you know what can i think about differently so i can change in my immediate environment and that is mm -hmm. why systems thinking is key and one more thing that got me thinking about was this might sound like how can kids think about systems upon systems it's so complicated i think mm -hmm. about natalie note lorio being like what's a bike right <laughs> it has parts those parts work together those parts mm -hmm. have a function and if they don't work you know uh the bike ceases to be a bike and work effectively mm -hmm. so starting with what kids know and mm -hmm. how we can coach them up and build them up and ourselves to understand those systems yeah definitely and so getting at this other point for me of aha of everything is connected and sort of how the journey that happened in my mind of everything is connected so we had early on we had angela stockman coming on talking about make writing talking about multimodal communication uh loose parts how can we get kids to sort of tell a story metaphorically like why did you choose that color why did you choose that shape all of you know why did you choose these materials and these elements to get them to inspire them to actually write in the written world word so i have to admit when she came on a year ago, I was very new to lose parts and make writing and all of those things. So I was listening as an novice. 
And then time goes on. I'm reading all these other things. We have other people on. So we had Oliver Cavalioli also very early on. And he, mm -hmm. well, his episode is definitely worth listening to over and over and over again. It's super, super high level. And he's talking about ideas in space and how kids like put things in things as babies and they're learning to conceptualize their world through space. Uh, okay, so all right, that's connected to what Angela is saying about loose parts and play and having kids use materials to like make meaning in space, right? Um, and then Joaquin Samayo comes on and I'm this, he was like in August, I, he said the following. He said, this is a guy who's into uh, the science of learning and he works at an organization that's really into how does the science of learning intersect with equity? And he said this, what we're about in our organization is how our minds and our bodies best learn. And I remember noting that to be like, whoa, haven't heard bodies like thrown in there <laughs> quite like that. Um, and so that was like a thing in our podcast where I just said, okay, this has got to be somewhat connected to Oliver talking about ideas in space, Angela talking about metaphorical thinking and kids physically making things to think about their writing. Joaquin talking about how our minds and bodies best learn. And now probably going to be a New York Times bestseller. Annie Murphy Paul is coming out with a book called The Extended Mind and her three parts of the extended mind. So we need her on this podcast, which that is a goal. Stay tuned, Watch listeners. <laughs> I super hope she'll be on because it's so aligned to everything that we're that we're talking about. How materials, emotions, bodies, and her other one is relationships. So going back to Jody Carrington and Chloe Valdery talking about relationships and social emotional learning, how the brain learns is not simply cognition. It's not simply intellectual. It's definitely not only via print. But the brain in space, in materials, with our bodies, and with our relationships with other people is how the brain learns. And so that to me was like all these different podcasts coming on and it all sort of culminating in both, yeah. I want to say Annie Murphy Paul, and I have to shout out to Mary Helen uh, Imadrino Yang because she's got these podcasts out that uh, we actually got her who she was and she'll be on I'm, I'm making i'm marking it i'm saying it to the universe right now <laughs> will happen uh, through, out there. through michael tell me his last name weingarth. Michael, michael weingarth was on our podcast and through twitter i saw who he was you know singing her praises so it's just everything is connected how the brain learns and this has to get into the water of schools in yeah. helping teachers to understand uh how how all of these aspects are connected and i think that one of my biggest takeaways Building on that is everything is connected, but everything is in a silo right now. We, mm. we live in insight silos mm. where mm -hmm. the people who look to cognitive science, cognitive load theory, and all of these ideas, like how the brain learns, like there's a lot of insight there, but what happens when you put that into a, a black box? And that is the only way that we think mm -hmm. about learning and cognition. Right? Mm -hmm. And then there are other people with developing insights and, and, and new ideas who would never make connections because they're in these silos. So I think that what we have kind of unintentionally uh, been through is we are constantly leaving one silo and stepping into another. And mm. it is really cool to serve as that connective tissue. I don't know if, you know, Oliver Caviglioli and Angela Stockman would ever have had a conversation. They live in, you know, sort of mm. like different discourse communities in different countries mm. too. But you mm. saying that is like, oh, wow, there is, there is more in common there than one might have thought.
And I think that, well, I guess this idea of there's so much, there's so many good ideas right now in education. The problem is they aren't coordinated. They're not in a system. Mm. They're in a broken system. So how mm-hmm. can we reach into other places, spaces, discourses, and get ideas and bring them together and perhaps using something mm. like the ACT model, acquire understanding of mm. how they work, connect them in relationship, and then transfer them to solve new problems. And I think that that is the, the power and utility of not only understanding concepts, connecting concepts and transferring concepts, but also like approaches, perspectives, pedagogies, and creating these new connections to solve complex problems, I, I think is, is really powerful. Um, and that's why I think that uh, our, our Eliza, who was our, our editor said like, each of your chapters could be a book itself <laughs> because mm-hmm. we are mm-hmm. bringing in all of these different ideas and putting them into one book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you, you just made me think of, I want to share with our listeners, sort of our latest thinking as a core team um, with Education to Save the World, the learning that transfers core team is, okay, wait, once we get kids to understand their world, and I got this from listening to Clint Smith on several different podcasts. So his latest book is called How the Word is Passed. Super recommend it. Uh, just listen to his podcast with Brene Brown. But he says the word reconceptualize. And it was, I sent it to you. I sent yep. you that. I yep. was like, Trevor, oh my God. Um, and we, play, we I played the little clip where he says that in our team meeting, because I was like, okay, this is it. This is where, this is where we're going next. So we need kids to conceptualize how gravity works, how all these different concepts work. And then we need to have them use those same structures and systems to like reconceptualize and to rebuild the world that, that they, the students, going back to Yang Zhao and his concept of self-directed, uh, personalized learning. He wants students, oh, his, his concept was self-determination. Love that. Self-determination. Let's teach the kids how the world works so that they can then rebuild it to how they want it to work, especially when it comes to the humanities. And so uh, this is why Trevor entitled this, uh, this particular podcast episode, Reconceptualizing, because that's where we want to go next. So it's sort of like, okay, the base level is how, you know, how scarce resources impact different countries for social studies. And now how, how should scarce resources impact different countries and having students sort of reconceptualize is where I feel like as a team, that's that's yeah. that's LTT learning that transfers 2.0. Don't worry, listeners, we're gonna give you our book just came out. We're gonna we're gonna do, but I feel like the way the book is written and all of our workshops are open enough to to be able to do that because we do talk about student action, we do talk about design thinking. There's the whole chapter, chapter four, on modern literacies, which is what you just hit on there of like not just math, science, social studies, et cetera, but we can take any field, which this podcast has proven, and boil it down to the most essential elements and how they interact. And so I do want to, oh, I don't know if you want to, let me let you, let me pause there because that was a lot. <laughs> What's on your mind? As no, a, as a no I love it. I love it. And, and that talks back into what you're saying about this idea of, of being asset-based and seeing what do students mm. know and understand. And mm. uh, this notion of design in general is one that I'm, I'm really on and exploring a lot in my research right now. And uh, Dr. Bocop and Mary Clances talk about design as a verb, the act of designing, but mm. then also as a noun, right? A design is an intentionally mm. built pattern or, or scaffold. Mm. So in addition to helping students understand how the world is organized and what patterns are there, we also need to teach them how they can redesign 
the world, reconceptualize yeah. the yeah. world and then redesign the world because, yeah. you know, yeah. Lord knows that we have some faulty, errant scripts and the way that things are mm -hmm. sort of set up and programmed right now. And I think that helping students about things in different ways and then give them the tools and the opportunities to redesign their world too seems like a really really beautiful combination of looking at things mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay is it time for rapid fire favorite moments rapid fire <laughs> um okay so favorite moments for our listeners if you have not heard these episodes so i definitely think number one uh, we've used it in all of our courses we use it in some of our workshops but when oliver cavalioli said organizing is to make meaning i remember you said bless him for that quote. <laughs> um, it's so true organizing is to make meaning and that's just so gorgeous uh so i i invite listeners to to listen to his podcast if you haven't because it's it's excellent one of my other favorite absolute favorite moments on the podcast for sure, listen to IO Magwood's podcast. I mean, that, that's the one I most share with other people. Like, you must listen to this on basically titled like anti racism, but it's so good. It's so thoughtful. It's so deep, especially now when everybody's arguing about these surface levels misunderstandings about anti racism. It's so good. But my aha, I remember, I remember I was, we were living with my parents, like in the midst of COVID quarantine and all of this happening. Um, and I was vacuuming. And I had to stop vacuuming to get a pen and write this down. Um, that was the moment, you know, a moment when I was re-listening to IO Magwood. Speaking of re, this was not in the moment when she said it. It was when I was listening to the podcast afterwards. My husband's always laughing, like, are you listening to yourself? I'm like, I'm not listening to myself. I'm listening I to myself. I do in the car so once you anyway, can't hear me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she said there are different types of questions. There are open or closed empirical questions and they're open or closed political questions. And that is so profound. So empirical means, can it be studied? Can it be measured? Can it be quantified? And is it open, meaning we're still sort of measuring, we still have got scientists out there like analyzing the data, or is it closed where the, the vast majority, you're still gonna have some fringe people, but the vast majority of experts in the field agree on this thing, then it is a closed empirical question. And then there's open or closed political questions, things that cannot technically be measured. There are a lot of difference of opinion, difference in reasoning. Um, and you know, you you solve them through a, through political means not quite the same thing as sort of empirically studying something. And she gave the example of the Holocaust, like whether or not the Holocaust ha happened is a closed empirical question. We do not discuss with our students, do you think it happened? No, <laughs> yeah. like, no, we don't do that. Um, and that's what she relates to systemic racism, systemic inequities. You, you look at the data and it is a closed empirical question. Systemic racism is still a thing even though we've had Obama as the president, even though Martin Luther King marched through the streets, it is still a thing and it's a closed empirical question. It Now, what do we do about it? This is what she says in the episode. What do we do about it is an open political question and that we're gonna debate. I absolutely, that was top moment yeah. of this podcast. Like systemic racism exists. That is a closed empirical question. What are we gonna do about it? Should the government do something about it? Like. That's all the hairy, thorny things that are very, still need a lot of maturity <laughs> to address, 
but whether or not it exists, we're not going to debate that. Um, that was that was huge. That was definitely um, such a great moment. I'll save my last one. I'll let you share, and then I want to save my last favorite moment of the podcast uh, after you go. So for me, our conversation with Brad really reified the fact that even if you go to the most micro moment of you know assessing a student's assignment or giving feedback in class. That is then embedded in the classroom, in the school, in the community, mm. in the culture, mm. in systems. Mm -hmm. And you kind of already talked about this with how things are already connected, but reading his book and watching some of his videos, he does such a great job distilling the complexity of all of these overlapping systems. And really, it, it's really kind of changed, not really changed, but just, I guess, made clear to me this idea that you can't separate you know, the society and culture that students are raised in from your classroom. Mm -hmm. And I think that has made me more interested. And I've been doing this just generally speaking since the, the pandemic of like trying to understand society and culture um, and even youth culture more specifically. Um, that reminds me of our episode with Tony Weaver Jr., where he really talked about that too. And, and the more that we can understand the, the culture and society that our students are, are being raised in and understand their sort of uh, cultural patterns and norms, the, the better we can help them see the connective tissue and the use, utility, and function of what we are teaching them. And the more that we as teachers mm -hmm. can um, explore with our students how, you know, how our discipline or how other disciplines can help them navigate the complex world mm. that we're in. So I, I really mm. enjoyed just that broader conversation with him of thinking about, you know, what is the system in which education is happening? And how can I, as a mm. classroom teacher, tend to my teaching differently as a result? Mm. Mm. Yeah, so I want to end with my favorite moment, but I'm going to throw one, I'm going to throw another one in there to say my most surprising episode. Um, I want to throw that one in there because I had uh, Maimuna Hamed to come on. We had her come on in, in July, I want to say, of last year. And we kind of thought, OK, like it's summer. Maybe not that many people are going to listen. Let me let me like think, you know, really expansively about who we could have on. And she she taught math at Chavez, but the Chavez Rolodex is deep. Wow. Um, but she's currently living, uh, working in in, Bang in Bangladesh, where she founded Teach for Bangladesh. And so she's working with like super, super, super impoverished schools. So yeah, not a lot of our listeners are probably in that scene. So I said, let me be interesting for us to like have a conversation. No, so applicable to all educators all around the world. It is not like different, you know, in how she, that was like my big, Oh God, I was so wrong thinking this would be an interesting, almost tangent to our normal podcast, but it was, it was very profound. And one of her concepts was healing. And I asked, you know, why as like teaching in a developing country, that would be an important concept. And she said, which is, I love Maimuna. She's always kind of putting me in my place. She said, I think that's applicable for all teaching. Everyone's hurt everyone's been hurt in their lives everyone needs to heal and how appropriate now yeah. so one of the things i have on our agenda is to have on another another chavez rolodex um to have on someone to come on to talk about her name is Nic nicola henry about healing using the act model to heal of the trauma of the last year because this was traumatic um this was traumatic for teachers 
Am I wrong? Yeah, I mean, it, it, <laughs> Trevor, it was in the quite, the, quite the year. This was traumatic for teachers. It was traumatic for students. It was traumatic for administrators. It was traumatic for parents. Um, and how do we, even if no one you know well, got you know, passed from COVID, which we do have a lot of people who they know someone in their family who passed from COVID. Um, it still was a traumatic year. So how can we use the ACT model to heal is, is one, stay tuned a forthcoming episode that I can't wait to record this summer. And then the last thing I wanna say is our, my favorite moment for by far uh, was reconceptualizing the, the concept of rage. And that was with Darnell Fine and Jessica Jones talking about the black experience. And that to me was the, most aha of how powerful the ACT model can be, because I will never know what it's like to go through life as a person of color. But I do know the concepts that they talked about and hearing them share those concepts and us having a conversation gave me so much insight. And rage was one of their concepts, which in my head, I was like negative. Uh, Like I just put it in the negative bucket. But both of them and our at that episode co-host uh, Nichelle Pinkney, who is also black, were like, "Oh, that could be positive." And I was like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 whoa! Break it down for me." And the the idea of rage as a positive emotion, and what Darnell said is rage as liberation, because if someone is discriminating, oppressing, uh, all of these things, negative negative things to you. Uh, using uh, imposing their cultural norms on you and, and your work environment, um, you should feel rage. If you didn't, you would cease to sort of be fully alive. Um, and so the concept of rage as liberation was so profound for me uh, and really sort of got me along this journey of how can we help kids reconceptualize what they understand about words? How can we help them to use the ACT model for even really sticky, hairy conversations to understand each other better, to understand people's experiences better so that they can build the type of worlds that we all know is needed right now. So that was my final moment I wanted to share it that just made me really rethink a lot of yeah, things. Yeah, and, and placing that conversation in perspective in conversation with Chloe Valdry's perspective on how to handle mm. social emotional learning and anti-racism. Um, and her emphasis mm. on love, I think, creates some really interesting dialectical tension. And something else that I've liked to mm-hmm. bring on people with different perspectives. As you were saying earlier, there's a lot of insight mm. in all these different communities and all these different perspectives mm. and all these different discourses. And um, bringing people into conversation or having conversations with people who wouldn't otherwise be collaborating, I think, can lead to some really unique insight. So uh, that one of my favorite moments was having that conversation uh, with Chloe and exploring and reconceptualizing mm-hmm. that idea or notion of love. And I think that mm-hmm. uh, taking a, a page out of Brad's book, if we are to handle the complexity of the world that our students are entering into, we have to handle and navigate paradox. We have to, as you said, take mm-hmm. our subjectivity mm-hmm. and make it an object and figure out how we can reconceptualize our understanding of things constantly, daily. And mm-hmm. I feel like that is kind of what we need. And taking a, but borrowing from Matt Murray's idea of, of what if we get curious about what mm-hmm. the affordances are of the way that other people see the world, of other disciplines, of things that our students know and love, and just generally things that we wouldn't expect. 
what if we mm -hmm. are willing to dive into a discipline or domain we think has no relevance to what we are experiencing or no connective right. tissue to what we believe or, or, or experience and see what we can learn. That's right. Love that. Love that. So what's coming next is reconceptualizing, um, having people continuing to have these amazing uh, guests on. And one other thing we're going to continue to do more of, which we did on that episode with uh, Nichelle Pinckney, one of our teammates being the co-host, is Trevor and I alternating uh, hosting responsibilities. What we want to do is to try and um, highlight the amazing capacity of our core team um, and having them come on. So if there's someone who's more mathematics focused, we're going to have our superstar mathematics person, Kayla Duncan, come on. Um, so that's what's next coming up for this. So you guys uh, will get to hear from the rest of the core team, as well as lots of other guests that we have in store. Um, so thanks, Trevor, again, for <laughs> uh, bugging me about this and and getting this whole ball rolling for editing and all the back end stuff that you do for this podcast. Um, I'm super, super appreciative. It's been one of the joys for sure of the pandemic. And I would say of, of my life, it's been, it's been I great. So and thank you. you for humoring me uh, when I said, Hey, Julie, let's make a podcast, which during the pandemic <laughs> probably wasn't a very unique thing. I think a lot of people have that idea. Um, so, so thank you for, you know, being positive and leaning into it and, uh, being with me when we have all these amazing conversations with all these incredible people. So looking forward to more on the horizon. For sure. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Conceptually Speaking. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and are coming away with a stronger grasp of the concepts and mental models that help us understand our world. If you like this podcast, feel free to like, comment, or subscribe on your favorite platform. If you want to learn more or get involved, check out our website at edtosavetheworld.com and join our Facebook group, Learning That Transfers.